Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, February 26th, 2018. Our second of two Billy Graham prophetic updates. Man, have I got a doozer for you. You betcha. I think North Dakota's wearing off on me. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. And we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles, and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that's put forward uh, by these people, is far from biblical. It's like not even close to what God's Word says. It's and it's getting like really embarrassing just how nonsensical the teachings are that people are receiving as Christians, and apparently they like it that way because they reward the false teachers with bazillions of dollars and give guys like me grief for pointing out that those guys are teaching error. Anyway, <laughs> you get the idea. So let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Tomorrow I'm actually going to mix it up a little bit. Um, yeah, Here I'm going to talk about today, and I, I'm already thinking about tomorrow. <laughs> in in times past, we've done sermon cage fights, but uh, I've never been a contestant in the ring officially, so I, I'm not comfortable doing that. So uh, t- tomorrow will be a little comparing and contrasting, if you would, kind of a sermon sparring fight kind of thing. Uh, and uh, we're going to take a look at Genesis 22, uh, that's the story of God calling Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac, his son, his only son. Yeah, interesting stuff there. But uh, we'll do a little comparing and contrasting. So tomorrow's episode will be a little di- bit of a different format. Just want to mix it up because uh, that's kind of how we do things from time to time here. But on this episode of Fighting for the Faith, um, well, <clears throat> yeah, so <laughs> looking at the notes here. 
We're going to begin with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate. It, I don't even want to say twin spin because I really think the entire first hour is dedicated to that group. And uh, we'll, we'll start off with a, a Ryan Lestrange Monday word. Um, uh, and the Monday word for this week is territorial warriors stay in position. So those of you who've been waiting for your orders as a territorial warrior, good news is the Apostle Ryan Lestrange has received a prophetic word that uh, you are to stay put. No moving. you got to stay where you are. So <laughs> just can't make this stuff up. And uh, then <laughs> we are going to head over to... Uh, let me find this. The, yeah, Church Unlimited. They are a church that's uh, out of the United States. We're going to be listening to Takbana. And the the name of the message we're going to preview is titled, Tomorrow I Will Do Wonders. And boy, have I got to tell you, I mean, this is a quintessential example of the false teaching you get in the charismatic movement that really oppresses people and really put, makes it so that the onus of doing signs and wonders and stuff like that is on them. And uh, Tak does not even realize just how badly he's putting these people into bondage. Maybe he does and doesn't care, but I like to think he probably doesn't quite get it. I mean, there, he strikes me as one who is deceived and not intentionally deceiving. But uh, that's kind of a different story. That will be the first half of hour number one. Second half of hour number one is going to be dedicated to part two of our look into, uh, you know, is the death of Billy Graham a prophetic sign, an eschatological prophetic sign pertaining to the end of days and things like that. Uh, some people are saying that the rapture is just around the corner. Others are, yeah, and I'm, I'm not joking about the rapture being around the corner. It's like next week or the end of this week, if, depending on who you're listening to on YouTube. So I, I need to ratchet up my number of uh, end-of-the-world survival times. <sighs> yeah, you can't make this up. But uh, anyway, um, so we're going to be checking in with two people in particular. One, a very famous YouTube prophecy regarding uh, the death of Billy Graham back in 2013. And we'll, we'll listen to that. And then we'll listen to S Steve uh, Sia Calanti, Chica Calanti. I don't know how to pronounce this fellow's name. Steve C. And um, he did an extremely long teaching on this, claiming that Billy Graham is the sign of the next move of God. And we're going to stay into this message quite a bit as Steve literally is making the claim that uh, if you don't join in the new thing that God is doing and you're kind of hanging on to old things uh, that God has done, uh, that you will be into the occult and witchcraft. I'm not making that up. So apparently God's going to be doing a new thing coming up and uh, <laughs> because of the death of Billy Graham. And if you're going to hang on to the old thing that God was doing, uh, you're going to be guilty of you know practicing the occult and witchcraft. Yeah, I wish I was making that up. Hour number two, we're going to head down to Arise Church, listen to a campus pastor, Jason Howard, as he preaches a sermon titled, We 
The Dreamers. We, the Dreamers. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We've got a lot of ground that we need to cover. And since we're going to begin with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, uh, let's do this. at an English fair One evening I was there When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts There they are standing in a row Big ones, small ones Some as big as your head Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist That's what the showman said I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts Every ball you throw will make me rich there stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Roll a bowl a ball, roll a bowl a ball, singing roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Yeah, I got a lovely bunch of coconuts for you, folks. All right, so first thing we are going to do. We are going to check in with Ryan Lestrange and his Monday word. I've already noted that uh, if you are a territorial warrior, these are orders coming all the way from the top to you through the apostle. Yeah, he uses the term apostle for himself. Ryan Lestrange, here we go. I'm Ryan the Stranger, the Monday Word, and my Monday Word is territorial warriors stay in position. Stay. I had a nighttime encounter with the... Stay in position. You, you, so if you're a territorial warrior, you, you got to stay in position right now, and because, you know, he had a nighttime vision. Recently, and the Lord began to show me warfare to get people out of their assigned places geographically and in the spirit. And the Lord began to say to me, it's absolutely key that you remain in position. In sp- key. It's key, folks. You, you got to stay in position. Don't get out of position. You got to stay put. The pressure and the opposition. The Lord said there are demonic forces in territories and regions trying to push people out of their assignment. Oh, no, no. The demons are trying to push people out of their assignments, folks. Ay, ay, ay. Oh, man. Nobody saw this coming. We need to alert the media. Um, maybe uh, fire up the bat signal. Do something here. God said, don't vacate your place of rule and accept a lower standing in the spirit. The Lord- oh, no. Yeah. So if you vacate, if you're a territorial warrior and you vacate your place of rule, you are going to get a demotion. God's going to demote you to a lower position in the spirit. Oh, my goodness. I, I, man, I, well, I don't think I'm a territorial warrior, but I have no plans of leaving North Dakota. So I don't think I'm going to get a demotion. Just, you know, saying. And to me, those preachers that have been assigned to territories to tell you don't water down your preaching. Don't water down your teaching to match the climate. But the Lord said instead, preach up. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Be- preach up? What does that mean? 
Defense and in season, out season. He said the word is the foundation. That's how you're going to transform a people. And strong preaching, strong declaration, strong decree changes a territory. Revelation fuels transformation. And then the Lord said to territorial warriors, don't dumb down the prophetic flow to pacify the religious spirit. You see, don't dumb down the prophetic flow. Yeah, the problem here is that uh, what the, the prophetic flow is flowing from ain't the Holy Spirit. More like the spiritual equivalent of the sewer, you know. So the prophetic flow thing, yeah. And whatever you do, oh, man, the religious spirit. You see, Ryan Lestrange would basically dismiss me as a fellow who has a religious spirit. See, that's the reason why I'm pointing out he's a false prophet. And the nonsense that he has that he spews, claiming that it's prophecy, well, <clears throat> it's because I have. Apparently a religious spirit. Yeah, but that's not the case at all. Religious spirit wants to stop the prophetic function, stop the prophetic flow. In Daniel 2, it said he changes the times and the seasons. He removes the kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to understand there are times and seasons in the spirit. And it takes a prophetic... Yeah, no, um, Daniel is not teaching that there are times and seasons in the spirit. You, you made that up to unlock and understand and discern the times and the seasons and the religious demon wants to shut down prophetic oh the religious demon wants to shut this all down man yeah right so oh boy yeah we're doomed we're doomed it's clearly the devil's getting the upper hand but the Lord says, don't let him shut it down. I saw uh, prophets and prophetic people with an aerial view. And the Lord said, I want to give my prophetic people an aerial view. They are to remain. So a prophet with an aerial view. And they don't need a drone for this? Me. Seeing things from a heavenly perspective. Releasing revelation to my people. He said, I'm lifting my people through prophetic proclamation. Amos 3, 7 says, Surely God will do nothing, but he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. And then I heard the Lord say it's... Yeah, no, you didn't hear God say that. Uh, that's a, a verse taken out of context, and uh, that's not an ongoing thing now. That ministries and ministry leaders and pioneers don't build according to the religious patterns or regional pressure. There are regional demons that want to pressure the church in that territory to water it down. But the Lord says, do all that I have told you to do. So if God's placed you in a region as an intercessor, you're a part of a ministry team, if you're leading a ministry team, and you felt pressure, the word of the Lord to you is stay locked and loaded. Father locked and loaded. Stay put, don't move nowhere, and locked and loaded, you know, in the Spirit. Yeah, okay. Pray right now for a stamina and endurance that your people don't come out of the assigned place you have them in. And I bind up the opposition. I oh, he's binding up the opposition, folks. Oh, man. The opposition doesn't have a, a chance now. I'm, I'm surprised he didn't bind them up sooner. You know, but, you know, better now than never. This, I mean, the way I look at it. Up the pressure, and I thank you for the victory in Jesus' name. Yeah, every time we tune in to uh, Ryan Lestrange's uh, YouTube channel, strange is the word that really kind of stands out. Really, really, really strange. Makes no sense. I mean, he's, well, he's one that just likes to vomit 
a whole flow of words, but none of them really seem to mean anything. All right, we're still under Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate. We're heading to Church Unlimited and Takbana, and uh, the name of the message that we will be previewing is titled, Tomorrow I Will Do Wonders Among You. Fascinating twisting of Joshua, uh, and uh, boy, this is, talk about putting a heavy burden on the people there at Church Unlimited. Uh, this is the this is typical charismatic Pentecostal type preaching. Here's Takbana. God, do the impossible in our lives. We want to see amazing breakthroughs. We want to see miracles. In fact, we just want to see what we read in the book. Yeah, we want to see. We want to see. We want to see what we read in the book. Now, on the uh, YouTube channel that we have online, and uh, you, you can find me by going to YouTube and typing in Chris Roseboro. You can look for our dumpster fires. But I recently posted uh, the message that I delivered uh, this past summer at the Pirate Christian Radio Conference, and the name of it is, um, you know, Are the Sign Gifts for Today? Are the Sign Gifts for Today? And in that lecture... I demonstrated that in Scripture that miracles are a lot more rare than the charismatic and Pentecostal movement would lead you to believe. In fact, um, you know, they would talk about how on every page of Scripture there's miracle after miracle after miracle, and no, that is not true. In fact, there were kind of three major periods in human history when there were great miracles. When Moses um, was raised up, mm -hmm, first author of the Bible, uh, first five books of the uh, Bible were written uh, by him under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Then the second period of miracles, really standout miracles, is uh, when once the company of the prophets was up and running, and uh, you see Elijah and Elisha as kind of stand out there. And, you know, and with just a few exceptions, I mean, Daniel, there are miracles in the, in the, uh, regarding Daniel, uh, which you would expect, by the way. And then, you know, and then things are pretty quiet and dormant until the time of the apostles. Then there's this another huge, you know, time in the Bible where there are miracles. And then as the apostles get older, things kind of die down. And here's the idea. When you take a look at uh, the book of Exodus and why God had given Moses these the ability to perform these miracles is that they were a sign that he was actually sent by God. And so when we talk about sign miracles, that you know they were given specifically as God's way of saying, these fellows have my stamp of approval. So Moses, the prophets, the apostles. And Daniel, of course, is uh, one of the fellows that uh, there were miracles associated with his life. And guess what? He is one of the biblical authors. And so the idea then, and by the way, the uh, most of the Old Testament was compiled by and written by the company of prophets. Notice I didn't use the word school. That's the wrong term of, uh, to describe them. They weren't a school in the sense that we understand. They were the company of the prophets. And so sign gifts were given as a means of God, you know, demonstrating to people that God, you know, had basically his stamp of approval on what these men were writing. Yeah, this was to accompany the writing of the scriptures. 
Now, that being the case, there, there are m- many periods of time that are recorded in the Old Testament, like n- hardly any miracles, none at all. And so Takbana here is uh, not telling the truth. And you'll notice the me, 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 me. We just want to see what we see in the book and all this kind of stuff. Jesus himself says that it is a wicked, an adulterous generation that looks for a sign. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and Paul says, Jews want signs. Greeks seek wisdom. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. Big difference altogether. So um, what Takbana is doing here, um, he's either deceived or he's deceiving. Uh, but what he's saying is not accurate. To Revelation has got a virtually a miracle on every page, a breakthrough, an answer to prayer. How many of you would be say, I'm keen to actually my Christian life to match up to what's in this book? Give me a wave if that is you. Because I think we're all into that. And because sometimes I think we read the book. And so we want our Christian lives to match what's in the book. Well, what's keeping it from happening? Yeah. Listen to what he says. Look at our lives and we think, uh, disconnect. Something, God, what's what's the deal here? What's what's missing? I don't know if you do that, but I certainly do that in my life. I want to share with you what I believe is a, a key to experiencing the book, the supernatural of God in your life, and that's from Joshua chapter three, verse five, which is All right. So the key here apparently is found in Joshua chapter three, verse five. Let's take a look at it. Joshua chapter three, verse five. We'll do this out of context. So then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And that's the whole verse. Hmm. That's a misapplication of that passage. And and if you were to say that, well, the reason why the miraculous isn't happening in your life and why you're not getting the same results as the prophets or Moses or the apostles is because you haven't, properly consecrated yourself, set your life apart, you haven't desired it enough, and all this kind of stuff, then you're going to note then that it's all on you, you and your works, you and your worthiness. Now, before we let talk spin this out, let's take a look at Galatians chapter 3, which explicitly rules that concept out. Galatians chapter 3 Verse 1 reads, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Galatians 3, the opening six verses, rule out the idea that the reason why God works miracles among people is because they have performed particular acts and have made themselves worthy enough by doing this, that, or the other thing. Yeah, the reason why, according to Galatians 3, that God worked miracles among the Christians is because they believed the gospel. They had faith. 
That's the reason why. So what Talk is about to do here is lay a super heavy and an ambiguous burden on the people there at Church Unlimited. Listen in. Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow I will do wonders among you. There's two words to connect. Sanctify, which means surrender, consecrate, dedicate yourself. So sanctify and wonders. If you want to see the wonders of this book, the key to it is surrender and sanctification and dedication of our lives to God. That's just... <laughs> so the key, if you want to see wonders and signs and stuff, it's surrender, sanctification, and all that kind of stuff. In other words, it's up to you and uh, your works, which Galatians 3 totally ruled out. And now the question comes up, well, how will I know when I've done enough surrendering, done enough sanctifying, done enough consecrating so that I can now be worthy to experience signs and wonders? The whole concept, number one, is a heavy law burden, but number two, it's so ridiculously vague that there's no way to know with certainty what exactly is required. You just got to keep trying harder and harder and harder and doing more and more and more until apparently the, the signs and wonders begin to flow. But Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, doesn't say if you consecrate yourselves, then God will do wonders, which is what he's doing with this text. It says this, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. God's going to do wonders, so consecrate yourself. It doesn't say consecrate yourself, then God will do them. No, God's going to do them, so consecrate yourself. So what Tak is doing here is confusing law and gospel. And by the way, this is a quintessential example of the type of heavy burden that is laid on people in the charismatic and Pentecostal movements. They are told that we should expect signs, wonder, wonders, miracles, and all the supernatural stuff, and then told it's up to them. They've got to lean in. They've got to activate. They've got to consecrate. They've got to sanctify. They've got to, they've got to, they've got to. You see, all of these wonderful things are available to them if they would just do enough. But Galatians 3 makes it clear that God does not work miracles among us because of works of the law, but by believing the gospel in faith. So we got a problem here. Simply the way it works. And whenever God wants to do something astounding in our lives, I find he calls us to a greater surrender. And it's really about positioning your life. So, yeah, God wants to do things, but you've got to surrender greater and then position yourself, which doesn't make any sense. How exactly do I position myself? What does that mean? Blessing of God. Some of you joined with us three days of prayer and fasting last week, and you positioned yourself for God to do a wonder in your life, to do a miracle. In so you have to position yourself for God to do a wonder. God's not going to do it without you properly positioning yourself. These things don't just fall out of the sky. No, no, no. You've got to earn them. Things, is man's parts, is things that we can actually do to release God's power 
to work in our lives. And yeah, so apparently we it's all up to us to make ourselves worthy so that we can release God's power into our lives by our worthiness. <laughs> Talk about heavy, heavy law <laughs> and no gospel. Wow. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. Part two of our look at Is the Death of Billy Graham a Prophetic? Sign! Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles in the church today. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> other news, it seems that the inhabitants of Earth are not the only ones subject to economic slumps. Jensen Franklin, through direct revelation from God, has given us information that says that the unemployment rate within God's own army has drastically risen. Take a listen. An angel came and opened the doors and broke the chains. My point to you is simply this. When you don't pray, angels become unemployed. The greatest tragedy of prayerlessness is the unemployment of angels. Because when you pray, God gives angels their, their orders. When you pray, the spiritual battle in the heavenlies begins to be armed with the prayers of the saints and people binding. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. <laughs> Attention, angels. This is uh, the Holy Spirit. I have an announcement regarding the uh, latest downturn in the economy. And I understand that a lot of you have been unemployed lately due to a lack of prayer. And I wish there was something that I could do about this. But, you know, I feel so powerless when it comes to these kind of things. Um, we, uh, we've uh, created a welfare uh, basket, uh, spiritual relief type of thing. And uh, so those of you who have uh, been hit hard by the latest downturn and are now finding yourselves unemployed, uh, please uh, proceed over to the uh, <clears throat> relief office and uh, we'll see what we can do to help you out. Thank you. All right. All right. Everyone just calm down. Thank you. Now, I know that none of you care to be here, but since we're experiencing a worldwide shortage of prayer, it would behoove you to keep calm 
and allow us to do our jobs. Gabriel, put your wings down. There's not nearly enough room for that. And Michael, Michael, don't cut in line. I know you're the big cheese around here, but all of us have been affected equally. Wait your turn. Next! What's your name? George. George. Whatever. Where'd you fly in from? South Orange County, California. California? That's frontline enemy territory. How many tours you done down in that kill box? About nine. Oh, you're quite the veteran. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's Rick Warren's territory, right? Yeah, he's got most of the people down there praying for purpose, better sex, other useless junk like that. Those idiots don't even realize they don't need God for such things. I hear you on that one. Now, I know it's not much, but this is what I can give you. It's a premium spiritual relief basket. Thank you. I'll be sure to put this to good use. (laughs) I know you will. Next! What's your name, bub? Harold. Okay. Harold, where you hailing from? Charlotte, North Carolina. Good gravy. You must really be hurting. Everyone knows that Stephen Furtick's neck of the woods is just filled to bursting with heretical slop. Uh, What are they praying for nowadays? It's the strangest thing. They keep praying to the sun, telling it to stand still. I don't get it. Those morons! Don't they know nothing about astrophysics? If they were to stop the sun, they'd burn half the world to a crisp. Moon rocks have higher IQs than those dingbats. All right, got a relief basket for you. I greatly appreciate the help. (laughs) I know, you're welcome. Next! And your name is... Bob. Bob? I swear, angels these days. All right, Bob, lay it on me. Where you from? Vatican City. Vatican City? (laughs) Are those bozos still praying to dead people and inanimate objects? More than ever. You know, that really frosts my cookies. I mean seriously. Take Mary, for example. That poor woman has been dead for millennia. She's not answering prayers. Who is the dumb schmuck that thought praying to her would do anything in the first place? Humans! They're so darn gullible sometimes. Anyway, here's your relief basket. (laughs) Sorry. Just getting real tired of that. Happens every time I give someone a basket. Next! Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Hey, everyone. It's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. 
So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that you don't earn God's gifts and miracles and answers to prayer. You don't, because Galatians 3 says so. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to and to the world, and you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. There you will see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. It's based upon your monthly commitment that you have your rank in our crew. And lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. If you'd like to support us by becoming a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron link. And if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button or... You can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Let's reset the table. Here we go. are doing right now is we're going to check in once again with uh, the, kind of what YouTube and the YouTube prophecy types and others 
are saying regarding the death of Billy Graham? Is it a prophetic sign, a portent of things to come? And what does it mean? And if you remember yesterday, uh, we've heard two different things regarding the death of Billy Graham. Well, apparently there's more to it than just that. Let's go ahead and put the screen on. This is a fellow by the name of Stephen Denoon of Israeli News Live back on May 19th, 2013. He made a prophecy based upon a dream that he had regarding the death of Billy Graham and what it's supposed to signify and mean. And this is a prophecy that is making the rounds. If you've been monitoring traffic on YouTube as it pertains to is the death of Billy Graham a prophetic sign, this is the video that keeps coming up. Let's take a listen. My passion and my desire is to get the gospel that God puts in my heart out to as many people as we can around the world. Because that little bit of a note, I just have to chime in. Um, the gospel is not something that God lays on your heart. The gospel is the good news that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. The Bible itself defines the gospel, and you can find that definition of the gospel in the opening verses, the opening portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just had to say that. We continue. Truly the hour, the hour is late. It's extremely late. Um, last night, uh, for example, uh, the Lord woke me up about 3 o'clock in the morning, and it was after having an incredible dream, um, and it was a rapture-related dream. Uh, the mm. Yeah, Stephen Denoon literally is one of the earliest YouTube guys that is a rapture dreamer, which is a whole category of the prophecy types on YouTube. I'll someday have to actually address that whole thing that's going on. And by the way, the uh, the rapture dreamers are literally creating the anticipation that the rapture is supposed to happen like any day now. In fact, some have even you know were claiming that the rapture should have happened already last week. So. You know, I, I wonder what they'd be saying today, but we continue. People were gathering together, uh, preparing for the rapture, and just very interesting in, indeed. Uh, one interesting, very interesting thing, though, that happened while I was in this dream is, not only who it was, but someone come up to me and said that Billy Graham will die shortly before the rapture. Uh, so that's something that uh, I guess we can be looking for as well. All right, so the rapture is going to occur shortly. Shortly. I don't know what shortly means, but shortly. I mean, it could be tonight, tomorrow, next Thursday, who knows. Uh, but shortly after the death of Billy Graham. That's the one that's been making the rounds on YouTube. But there's more. Let's uh, check in with another of the uh, prophecies as it pertains to uh, the death of Billy Graham. This one is from Steve Fletcher and his YouTube channel. Let's take a listen to what he had to say. I want to bring to everybody's attention that there are pending prophecies that have to do with Billy Graham dying just before the rapture. All right, pending prophecies. Pending. These prophecies are in pending status, apparently. Okay, I am not going to go into the details about what I think about that. I just wanted to bring this to everybody's attention. Yeah. There are articles about it. There are videos about it. You can study this or pray about this or, you know, I just want to bring it to everybody's attention. 
Yeah, so he's brought it to our attention. Listen to this next bit, and you're going to note <clears throat> the dates he's given are already passed. Over the last two weeks and over the last month, we had been watching 35 or more signs leading us to February 16th and 17th. And all the signs conjoined on one, on one time frame. And then exactly in that time frame, they had the winter storm Noah. Oh, yeah. See, there was a winter storm named Noah. As were the days of Noah. Noah, see, it's, it's the end of the world. <sighs> Came through, and if we look at the Bible and see what the story of Noah means, we see that there was a seven-day warning before Noah. Uh, as seven whole days. Yeah, yeah, a seven-day warning. So, you know, the Noah storms, seven days after that would be like February 23rd, 24th. Uh-huh. I entered the ark and before the flood began. And so my understanding or interpretation is that the Lord has given us a seven-day warning from the winter storm Noah. Mm -hmm. After seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. And, and that gives us a warning day of February 23rd and 24th. We're in the clear. And so what is that? 15 times I've now survived the end of the world. 15. I think I'm up to 15. I didn't even know about this one until, until like now. Okay. This report of Billy Graham's death on February 21st is huge. Very, very huge. Very ginormous in the prophecy world. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I mean, this could be another sign from God that this is the time. And uh, I just bring this to everybody's attention. I will be leaving in the description box all the... Uh... Yeah, you, you do that. All right, so you can see that uh, with the Lance Wall now, Kim Clement uh, prophecy, the expectation that was set was that it had something to do with the, with the church continuing to flourish. Kim Clement's prophecy basically said that, um, that God was going to replace Billy Graham with two Billy Grahams, one male, one female, and uh, and the since uh, Lance Wallner is part of the New Apostolic Reformation and is a true Seven Mountain Dominionist, that's what he teaches. Um, that that would somehow play into his eschatological expectation. Then that uh, these two new Billy Grahams would take an instrumental role within the uh, Joel's army, Joshua generation, who's supposed to rise up and participate in this you know billion souls harvest thingy. Whereas uh, Stephen Denoon's uh, prophecy was that it would be uh, the rapture would come shortly after the death of Billy Graham, and then uh, Mr. Fletcher here uh, piggybacking on that expectation. So you can cl clearly see that these people all claiming to be hearing from God or reading the signs and stuff, they're actually contradicting each other, which basically means logically, one of them is right and the other is wrong, or both of them are wrong. I'd go with the second one on that. And by the way, there's another type of expectation that was created from the prophecy types as it relates to the death of Billy Graham. And this one comes from the so-called prophet Neville Johnson, and uh, this was from last year. Let's uh, listen in as the prophet Neville Johnson's prophetically... Uh, right there as he's prophesying, has the direct connection, the portal opened up and he can hear directly from God and see stuff in the spiritual realm. 
and what he received back last year regarding uh, Billy Graham. You're seeing the face of Billy Graham now. He can see the face of Billy Graham now. This was uh, September 7th through 9th in uh, New South Wales, Australia. Okay. I'm not a loony. Just hang on. No, really, you are. Ah. Ah. When Billy Graham dies... Notice, he's creating the, uh, the, uh, the idea that this is fresh. He just got this seconds ago directly from the heavenlies. The end of the old phase from the 1948 move right up to now. It will come to an end, and he will soon die. Sorry, Billy. All right, so uh, that kind of a weird, but this is a little bit of an outlier, which segues perfectly into the next segment. But the idea is, is that the death of Billy Graham would be the end of a phase. And notice he referenced 1948, which makes me wonder if this guy was influenced by latter rain theology. But then that leads us to our last one, and we'll spend a little bit of time on this one. Uh, Steve, uh, I can't even pronounce his last name, Sia Calanti, Chica Calanti, I have no idea. And uh, so we call him Steve C. here at Fighting for the Faith. And in order to properly understand this one, I have to show you the description. Here in the video description, it says, This prophetic message was recorded days before the passing of the Reverend Billy Graham on the 22nd of February, that's Australia time, and the Lord had given Pastor C, Steve C. a word about changing of the guard to awaken believers to a new season and what are the characteristics of this next move of God, okay? So if Billy Graham defined a generation of revival by centralized crusades, the next move of God will be led by a decentralized a decentralization of the Bible, and uh, and so he goes on to explain all this. And so the the name of the video, by the way, is Billy Graham, Sign of the Next Move of God, Changing of the Guards, Online Church, Decentralized Revival. So I think this is fascinating. So Steve C. gave this message before the death of Billy Graham, but he saw it as prophetically significant because of the timing, and the theology in this one is quite fascinating because he is literally going to make the claim because of the change, the God, the changing of the season, changing of the guard. If you're operating in an old anointing in the new season that's coming, then you will be guilty of, well, a, the occult. Yeah, I'm not making that up. So this one, this next portion, although he doesn't mention Billy Graham by name, he in his description sees this as significant and which is exactly what Neville Johnson was saying, that the death of Billy Graham would would mark the end of one season and the beginning of a new. So let's check in with Steve C. and how he th- what he's seeing in the spiritual realm as it relates to the coming of the new season and the changing of the guards. Listen to this. At a familiar scripture, and we're going to put a new twist on it. All right, let's take a look at this. I think it will explain much, and it will apply very directly to everybody listening. 2 Kings chapter 2. And it was so when they had crossed over. Okay, now a little bit of a note here. Fascinating that he's going to this text. So he's headed, he's entitled it Changes in Seasons. And this is the story then of the changing of the guard between Elijah and Elisha. Important to note, Elijah didn't die. 
Um, so, uh, you know, it does, this doesn't, I've seen people try to apply this, including Lance Wallnow, to apply this to uh, Billy Graham, but Elijah didn't die. So this isn't really, you know, something that applies to that, but fascinating that this is his move. And Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? He said, please. Let a double portion of your spirit, a double anointing, come upon me. So Elijah said, "You yeah, weird because other people have you know they take this and they talk about mantles dropping, which is weird because yeah, that's not how that worked out in the text. Double portion of your spirit. That's the hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. So can you see, church?" The passing of the old. I, I think so. There's a season of new things coming. And obviously there's going to be new leadership coming in the body of Christ. New leadership is coming in technology. Is that right? New leadership in business. Some of the old names are on their way out. I think George Soros... Is yeah, this is what happens as people get old. They die, you know? <laughs> it's kind of the way it's been since I was born. Okay. going to be around for much longer. Even the great Warren Buffett, called the greatest investor of our time, he's going to be replaced. Now there are new billionaires coming up. There's a passing of the old. The world sees it. Does the church discern this? Mm, so you got to pay attention, the passing of the old. When I was a kid, you know, uh, during you know, my early childhood, you know, we, a lot of the movie stars of the golden age of Hollywood, yeah, they, they were dying when I was a kid. So, yeah, changing of the guard, you know. If you can see the closing of a season, you are qualified to enter the new season. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, <clears throat> this slide, it's interesting. It says, principle of freshness. So, uh, yeah, new doctrine, by the way, the, the doctrine of the principle of freshness. So, and uh, the rules of the principle of freshness are if you can see the closing of a season, you can enter the new season. This is not what Second Kings is teaching. Wow, this guy twists scripture pretty badly. How important is this in the spiritual area? Mm. If you operate with an old anointing when seasons have changed, you will be in the occult. Really? Um, which biblical text actually says that? Now, there is no biblical text that says it. So what he's going to do is he's going to take a historical narrative and make it, he's going to shoehorn it to try to make it mean that. But there is no text that says what he just said. See, what is the occult? We, we, we don't discern. We think it's beyond possibility that we could be involved in the occult. I'm pretty sure that in order to be involved in the occult, you probably need to actually desire to be part of the occult. I mean, you know, it, doing the occult thing is not something you just accidentally happen upon or you know, no, it's, it's not exactly how that works. But when you operate with an old anointing, after seasons have changed, after God has moved on, mm. you are, in fact, part of the occult. Who knew? I mean, there you go. So, I mean, since I'm a confessional Lutheran, 
um, and I haven't jumped on to the new thing that God's doing in the charismatic movement, that means I am an occultist and didn't even know it. No, that's ridiculous. I will prove it to you from the word of God. Please the try. The Pharisees refusing to see the passing of the Old Testament and the transition to the New Testament. Uh, again, I have to note this fact that the Pharisees were heretics. They were not Orthodox Jews. Number one, they opposed Christ, the very who is none other than the God they claim to worship in human flesh. But it's a little bit more than that. Let's take a look at Matthew, not Matthew, Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. And we'll just pay attention to what's going on here. The, the Pharisees were heretics. They added to the scriptures and they were not, quote unquote, orthodox, as we talk, you know, in the way we talk about somebody who is truly an orthodox believer. They believe in orthodox doctrines and things like that. That's not what the, the Pharisees were about. Uh, so here's what it says in Mark chapter 7. Watch this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, why are they choosing to have this fight over this practice? Answer, well, number one, it's important to note, you can look through all of the Old Testament. You will not find a command from God to wash your hands. So the question is, where did the Pharisees get this idea that they needed to wash their hands? Answer, it was part of their body of doctrine and a sacred work they claimed came from Mount Sinai, from God to Moses from Mount Sinai, and it was the oral Torah. It got it got encoded in a in a place called the tradition of the elders. You can read it today in the Talmuds and the Mishnah. But they claimed that there was other doctrines that God revealed to Moses, other things that were required, but they were not written down in the written Torah. And you'll note that when the Old Testament ended, by the time you, you read all the way from Genesis to Malachi, there's no mention of Pharisees anywhere in that time period. In, in fact, the Pharisees come up during the intertestamental period, and they invented these doctrines, and they added to Scripture. Now, here's the idea then. In the tradition of the elders, in the oral Torah, was the command that if you go out among the goyim, among the uh, unwashed Gentiles, yeah, their sinful ick will get on you, and so you have to do this cleansing ritual with a water basin when you enter into a house. And you know the 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 ritual kind of went like this: you put your left hand over the water basin, and uh, with the palm down, and then you take the water pitcher and you pour it on uh, your the back of your left hand. Switch hands, right hand, palm down. Uh, you know, put water on top of that. Switch hands again. Left hand, palm up. Water on top of that. Switch again. Right hand, palm up water on top of that, and then you kind of spritz your hand, and then you say this prayer. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us the command to wash our hands. That's how the ritual goes. You can find it in the uh, Talmuds and the Mishnah and think places like that. But the thing is, it's not in Scripture. And so when Jesus and his disciples came in from doing their ministry work that day, they passed the basin up and went straight to the dinner table, and the Pharisees lost it. 
And the reason why they lost it is because Jesus, by instructing his disciples to not wash their hands, was denying the authority of the tradition of the elders. So that's what's going on here. So when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to, and the the, the name tradition of the elders should probably be capitalized. That's an official body of work. And they do, and and when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions they observe, such as the washing of cups, pots, copper vessels, dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, "Why do your disciples not walk?" Listen to this: according to the tradition of the elders, which is an extra biblical body of work. But they eat with defiled hands. So Jesus said to them, "Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites?" As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And that's the problem. So already we've got a major issue with uh, Steve C's uh, claims here that you've got to, you know, that the Pharisees, they didn't see the changing in the seasons, and so they were guilty of practicing the occult. Yet, yeah, no. The Pharisees were heretics from the beginning. They added to the scriptures and taught the doctrines of men as if they were the doctrines of God. It's not that they were orthodox and missed the switching of the seasons. That's not it at all. He doesn't know his Bible very well. We continue. Not everything in the Old Testament is done away with. We don't believe that. But there certainly was a transition, wasn't there? When the Messiah fulfilled the requirements of the law, which no man could fulfill, he brought in something new. It's called the new covenant. Yeah, again, this that has nothing to do with what was wrong with the Pharisees. It's not that they missed the season change. It's that they were totally off the rails to begin with. It's a covenant not based on our good works, which always fail, but on faith in his accomplished work, which he fulfilled all through his life, and then with his perfection, was able to pay the price of sin by dying on the cross for us. He deserved not to die, and yet he died. He died in our place. That established that cutting... Which is most certainly true. His his body and, and the bleeding of his flesh, that established a new covenant. Now, if you were the teachers of the Bible and the guardians of the revelation of the Word of God, but you missed that one thing, you become the occult. Yeah, no. See, the Pharisees were not the guardians of the Word of God. They had added to it with the tradition of the elders, the oral Torah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, this teaching falls way flat. And he's created this new doctrine, the doctrine of freshness, which, by the way, kind of ironically here, is he's guilty of doing the exact same thing that the Pharisees did. He's teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Nowhere in Scripture are we told that if you operate in an old anointing after a season change, you are now practicing the occult. And so in a very strange and bizarre, ironic turn of events here, in this Billy Graham significance prophecy teaching, um, we've got a problem. And that is, is that Steve C. is doing the exact same thing that the Pharisees did, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. There is no doctrine of freshness. I think you get the point.
All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Heading to Arise Church, Jason Howard and the sermon, We the Dreamers. That doesn't sound good. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles in the church today. You're li- Gibberish is not one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... <laughs> You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. <laughs> to err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Number two of Fighting for the Faith, sermon review time.
do this right, though. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon is by Jason Howard. He's the campus pastor, I'm sorry, of Amplified Church. Amplified. The name of the sermon is We the Dreamers. This is um, installment number five, week five of the We the Dreamers sermon series and wait till you hear Jason Howard's summary of what they've been teaching over the past few weeks there regarding We the Dreamers. It's guaranteed to be a twisting of scripture, a focusing in on stuff that's not actually taught in the Bible, but it sure will make people feel good about themselves and their importance and stuff. Yeah, I think you get the point. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Jason Howard and We the Dreamers. Live link through video to our city campus. So what's up, everyone in this city? Make some noise, Pittsburghies, for our city family today. It's so good to be with you. In city, now's your turn to make noise for us. Go. We can't really hear you, but that's awesome. You did a great job, I'm sure. All right, so is anyone actually rooting for the Patriots here? Anyone? City campus, anyone rooting for the Patriots? We have a special prayer room for you after the service. (laughs) Anyone rooting for the Eagles? Yeah, okay. Anyone really don't care at all? Yeah. And how many of you, how many of you are rooting for Justin Timberlake? I heard that. I heard that. That's amazing. Isn't it so weird that they decided to play football at the Justin Timberlake concert tonight? It's so weird. (laughs) We're wrapping up our series today called We the Dreamers. And we've been talking about how God has given you what you need in order to dream impossible dreams and to live those dreams out. Really, Really, God has given me what I need to live impossible dreams and live those dreams out. Really, how are you going to justify this teaching from Scripture? Jesus said some powerful words about people who have faith, that we could be people who move mountains. Taken out of context, that has nothing to do about dreaming impossible dreams. Because of our faith. And see, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about how God created you to be a dreamer. God created you to be a believer. God created me to be a dreamer. Really? I'm totally letting God down then, apparently. God created you to be a mountain mover, and God created you to do impossible things because his power is alive and active inside of you. Yeah, so get busy doing those impossible things. And, of course, when you're not doing the impossible things, you're going to feel like you're really going to end up in hell because Scripture nowhere tells us that God's commandment is for us to do impossible things. But the way that we access that power is when we have the audacity in the guts to say, I know how the world is, but I'm going to make a difference. I know the way things are, 
but I'm not going to settle for how they are. I believe that they can be better. I believe that they can be different. And when- really? Um, you have a biblical text that says that nonsense? Because I can't think of any that say that. Have that kind of faith, that kind of audacity, that kind of guts. That's how we be. That's how we become people who truly do what Jesus said is possible. We could do the impossible. And you know what? When Jesus said that we can do the impossible, man, my greatest fear is that I would somehow miss out on what was possible for me to do in this life. That I would somehow have shot. Don't you mean you would miss out on the, the impossible things to do in this life? I just, just pointing out the inconsistency here. Short. What God said is possible for my future. And I don't want anyone in our family at Amplify or any one of you here listening today to miss out on what God said is possible for your life. We're not going to settle, right? We're not going to miss out on what God said is possible. We're going to be people of faith, right? We're going to be dreamers. We're going to be believers. You better be a dreamer or believer or else, you know. We're not going to be hindered when things don't go our way because we've got a vision in our head for how the world can be and we're going to move forward until we see that a reality. So... So this week, my wife, AJ, and I, we bought a brand new toy for our four-year-old little girl named London. And it was something that she had been asking for for a while. Notice, uh, personal life story rather than biblical text, that's a bad sign. And so AJ ordered it, and I don't think either of us really knew what we were getting. But it, it, it arrived to the house, and it was, it was pretty late. It was almost bedtime, and, and you know, we gave the, the toy to London, and London is just, like, ecstatic. I mean, she's just thrilled. And then we start opening up the box and it's part after part after part after part. And then there's these little parts that go into other bigger parts. And then there were like these containers and baggies full of different types of powders and liquids. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, I'm already tired. What in the world did we just get ourselves into? Because now that we've opened up the toy, we actually have to play with it tonight. And I can't imagine it, but it got, it got, it got to breaking point. When AJ pulled out the instruction manual and there were 17 steps, none of these steps were possible for a four or five year old to do. It's not a toy for a kid. It's a project for an adult. And I'm like, Oh, what do we get ourselves into? So, so I'm like going through the instructions and the instructions, it was like Ikea type instructions. In other words, they're impossible to decipher and you have no idea. And so it's like this. Yeah, this isn't a biblical text, and none of the things you've said are actually biblical. Machine, and there were multiple different powders, little white powders that you mixed together with certain liquid. And, and I'm trying to like decipher these instructions, dumping these powders into this mixing machine. And London wants to do it, but London can't do it. You know, she, it's for her, but it's not actually for her. And, and so we're mixing these powders together, and then there's this chemical reaction that starts. And like these powders, when you mix it together, starts to foam and, and fuzz and sort of like, you know, go everywhere. And, and then I'm, I'm trying to figure out, but the instructions say something around taking this moving, growing foam and forming it into shapes that will harden. And I could not figure out how to do this thing. I'm stumped by this toy. And so... I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I'm on step 11 of 17. The end is not in sight. And so I did not one of my finest moments. I stand up from the table. I throw my arms up and I say, I'm sorry. And I I walk out of the room (laughs) and I say, AJ, step 11. And so, (laughs) so AJ steps in at step 11. 
To this day, neither of us have any clue what this toy is actually supposed to do. Whatever it's supposed to do, it did not do. I'm not sure what it's supposed to do, but it didn't do it. But London loved it. She had a blast. And then Daniil, our teenage boy, walks in towards the end of the project and he says, Guys, why did you buy London a meth lab? And, um, and we turn to Daniil, that's his name, and we say, You shouldn't even know what that is. How do you even know what that is? So the next day, London says, Can we do it again? And we're like, Oh, it's broken. It's. <laughs> Have you ever, have you ever been in the middle of something and gotten so frustrated that you just bailed on it halfway through? You just gave up on it. It's like, I can't handle this anymore. See, we're talking about being dreamers and we're talking about being people of faith, people who dare to do the impossible. But the truth is, is that if we live the life of a dreamer and if we live the life of a person of faith, the truth is, is that faith does not guarantee that everything is going to go according to plan. In fact, sometimes faith is what God gives you. What biblical text are you finding this in? Not because everything is going to be great, but because you're going to have to persevere through some things that are not great. And sometimes the fulfillment of our dream is on the other side of a little bit of perseverance. But again, do you have a text that says this? For us is that when we have an expectation for how our lives are meant to turn out, or how our careers are meant to turn out, or how our families are meant to turn out. When we have an expectation, and that expectation does not seem to be being met, the temptation is that we would do what I did with the toy. Throw our hands up and say, I'm bailing on this thing. Because it's not going according to my plan. It's not working out well. And and as we leave this series today of talks about being dreamers, I'm going to challenge you to have the kind of guts and audacity that says, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up no matter what happens. Do you have the guts to say, I'm not giving up no matter what. I'm going to change the world. And see, then the impossible can happen and stuff. None of this is biblical doctrine. There was, there was a, a group, crew of people, really, who found themselves in a really frustrating situation in the Bible. It's, it's the very last pages of the Old Testament. And a little bit of the history... The people of Israel had had a phenomenal society, huge city of Jerusalem, massive temple. It was amazing. But enemy armies came in and basically decimated their society. They leveled the entire city. And so most of the Israelis, most of the Jewish people, had been living in exile. But after about 70 years, the empire allowed them to return back to Jerusalem and to start rebuilding. And so they got back to Jerusalem and they they actually were able to rebuild the walls of the city, which was a miracle. Nehemiah led it. It was incredible. And then the next step was to rebuild the temple. And they ran into some opposition. So they had this dream. They had this goal. We're going to go back and we're going to rebuild what we've lost. And by building the temple, it was a godly endeavor because they're saying we're going to start worshiping God again. And so they go and they set the foundation of the temple and then they face some opposition. And guess what they did? They say, this is getting really tough. And I'll relate to that. I understand that. God, I believe that you're a healer, but I don't feel like I'm seeing the healing. Or God, I believe that you can fix my marriage, but I don't see any progress. 
Or God, I believe that you can take me first. The rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem in the book of Nehemiah have nothing to do with rebuilding your finances or your marriage or anything like that. In my career, but it seems like I've been in the same place for a long time. God, I believe that I'm going to see a breakthrough in my kids, but their behavior just keeps the same. And, and I relate to that. And so, and so they did what, what human nature would have us do, and they stopped building because there was some opposition. And so in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah was a prophet who's a man of God. And he says to the people who had stopped building some words to encourage them to keep going. And in Zechariah chapter 4, it, it talks to a man named Zerubbabel, who was the governor at the time. And it says this. It says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I know that it's tough. I know that you're not getting the results that you want, but it will not be accomplished by your own effort or by your own power, but my spirit is on you. And because my spirit is on you, the work can be finished. And we talked about that over the last few weeks, that when we trust God's power inside of us, we can do what God said is possible for us to do. But in our own... Yeah, um, you take a verse out of context, and then you make it into, you make it, you shoehorn it into the theology you're spewing in this sermon. You haven't rightly handled the text from Zechariah. And in our own strength, we have limited resources, but God has unlimited resources. And so when you feel like you are at the end of yourself, that is a good place. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. It's all about getting to the end of yourself. Zechariah 4, verse 1, three rules for sound biblical exegesis are context, context, context. Let's see if when we put this verse back into context, if it actually teaches what Jason Howard says it teaches. Zechariah 4.1, The angel who talked with me came again and woke me, like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? I said, I see it. And behold, a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on top of it, and seven lamps on it, and seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right, of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of Yahweh to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also complete it. Then you will know that Yahweh Savaoth, the Lord of hosts, has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. All right, so this is a prophecy relating to Zerubbabel. It's a historical prophecy, one that we should pay attention to, but it's not teaching some principle. Therefore, we, you know, God's going to provide the ability to do the impossible and that we can perform the miraculous if we are dreamers and audaciously 
uh, step out in faith to do the impossible. That's not what this text says. That is the place when God can take over. And so here, here they say, God says, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And then, and then it, it's strange because, because God starts talking to the opposition. But, but he likens the opposition to a mountain that's in their way. And here's what God says to the mountain. It says, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he will bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. In other words, God's saying, I know that it seems like there's opposition. I know that it seems like there's a mountain in your way. But because the grace of God is on your life, that mountain will flatten out and you will see the project completed. And then it goes on and it says, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. Now this is Zechariah saying, God told me this. He said, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also finish it. In other words, he started, he got the foundation down, but he's going to see this thing through to completion. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And then it goes on, and I'm going to switch translations here. And the very next verse, it says something. It says, so do not despise these small beginnings, because the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Plumb line would have been the very first instrument to measure where the walls are going. And so God says, he leaves it like this. He says, it will be completed, but don't despise the small stuff. Because it is in the small stuff, the small beginnings, that God rejoices. God rejoices when you get started. And, and so, and so here's, here's, really, here's really what God is saying to the people and to Zerubbabel and to all of us today. He's saying, you've got a dream in your heart, now start where you are. No, he is not. Like, not even close. That's called eisegesis. Eisegesis is a form of Bible twisting where you read something into the biblical text that is not there, and that's exactly what he just did. Because the dream might seem impossible. In fact, if the dream for your life doesn't seem impossible, it's probably not God's dream for your life. Yeah, how many times have I heard that? Again, no biblical text says this. This is pure man-made doctrine. And just because Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, doesn't mean that God's going to put a dream inside of your heart and then you know and that he likes the days of small beginnings that's not at all what this text teaches or says and no biblical text is saying any of the things that he's saying because if it's possible for you to accomplish in your own effort it is way too small cuz God's dream for your life is way bigger than anything you could ever do for yourself but here's what he says he says I know that the dream seems impossible but start where you are Start where you are, because sometimes the only thing that you can do seems very small and insignificant. But start with what's small, and start what feels insignificant, because the Lord rejoices to see you take that first step forward. You know what I think, you know what I think he's saying? I think he's saying that dreamers have guts. Dreamers have guts because they're not afraid to do something that seems impossible. They're not afraid to take the first step, even though it seems risky. That they could have counted all of the cost, but they see the vision is worth it. So they have guts. Dreamers have guts. Dreamers have guts. I think we've got that for you on the screen. There you go. <laughs> so, so what does it mean? 
What does it mean that God rejoices to see the work begin? Well, there's another man who had a really strange beginning. God had a huge dream for a man named Abraham. His name actually started off as Abram. Later, it was changed to Abraham. But, but, but God, God shows up in Abraham's life and says, all right, I want to give you a picture of what's possible for your future. And then I want to get you to start taking the first steps. But, but read, read what God says to, to Abram. No, that is not at all what he said to Abram. Man, this guy is clueless as to how to rightly handle a biblical text. And this is in Genesis. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing to the whole world. So God gives this amazing picture to Abram, to Abraham about how God's going to use him to do great things. But, but, but think about, think about what, what God said when he started. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave everything that you know, and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. And, 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 and all of us people who like to have our life organized, we all just had meltdowns, right? Because here's what God's saying. Take the first step, even though you don't know the final outcome. Take the first step, even though you can't see where you're ultimately going. And God did that. Yeah, no, that's not what God is saying at all. Just because he did this to Abraham doesn't mean we're going to get some kind of a thing from God like this. You do understand, Abraham is one of the major pillars in the genealogy of Christ. And this ultimately has to do with bringing the Messiah, right? Purpose. Because if I was Abraham, here's what I would have wanted. I would have been like, okay, just give me an exact picture of exactly how the next 40 years of my life are going to play out. Like, just give me the instructions, right? It's like, it's like on, on your Google Maps app when you're trying to get somewhere, and, and, and you're like, give me the instructions how to get there. And, and what does it tell you? Every single step along the way, right? Every step. God doesn't do that. <laughs> God says, start where you are, and I will show you when you get there how to move forward. Why? Because what's God's agenda? God's agenda is that we would trust him. And if we could see how everything's going to play out, we would never need to be in relationship with him, right? Because we wouldn't need to know how to trust God if he just gave us the whole plan ahead of time. Because God's ultimate plan is not that we would accomplish great things. God's ultimate plan is that we would know him, the ultimate greatest thing, and that we would learn how to trust him. And out of that trust, we would then go on to do great things. So, so dreamers aren't afraid to take the first step where they are. Here's, here's how we can put it. Dreamers will take the first step before they know the final plan. Dreamers will take the first step before... Are, are you a dreamer? Yeah, notice obedience now is to some really vague, nonspecific dream that God's supposed to place in your heart. Good grief. I know the final plan. This is why dreamers need guts. Because I'm willing to step out even though I don't know exactly how it's going to work out. So, so maybe for you it's like, well, our marriage isn't where it needs to be. Well, then how about go, go talk to a counselor? And sometimes that's maybe where we get the blockade, right? It's like, I know where I want to go. I'm going to wish and hope and pray that it all works out that way, but I don't really want to take that first step because it feels uncomfortable. It feels risky. It feels like it's not going to be easy. But if you're a dreamer, if you're a person of faith, if you're a mountain mover, you've got guts. 
And you're not afraid to take the first step, even though you might not know what the final outcome looks like. See, see. Are you a mountain mover who has guts? Are you a dreamer who has a dream? Oh, man, this is nothing to do at all with what biblical Christianity teaches. It's another way we could say the same thing. Dreamers trust that God will see me through when I can't see ahead. God will see me through when I can't see ahead. So it's like when God says to the mountain in front of Zerubbabel, he says that mountain's going to become a flat plain with my grace. But if you think about a mountain, a mountain blocks your view of the road ahead. So even though I can't see the road ahead, I'm going to trust that God's going to see me through even though I can't see where I'm going. And that's the point of this mountain will become a flat plain. Before the mountain becomes the plain, you've got to start moving towards the mountain. And it's only when you move towards the mountain that you actually start to see the mountain flatten and you start to see God's grace take you into what is possible or actually impossible. I mean, think about Peter. Do you guys remember the story when when Jesus walked out on water and there was a huge storm and the wind is blowing and the waves are blowing and the rain is crazy and Jesus is walking out on the water and the 12 disciples are in the boat and they're like, who is that? It's a ghost. It's like, no, it's Jesus. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. And then Peter gets up on the end of the boat and he says, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, all right, come on out. Walk on the... Yeah, note that the reason why Peter challenged Jesus is because he didn't believe it was Jesus. This wasn't a moment of great faith. This was a moment of unbelief. Read the text. And now Peter's got a decision to make. Because he could stand on the edge of the boat and in his own mind start to go through all of the reasons why you can't really walk on water. Or he can turn down the voice of fear in his head and turn up the voice of faith and say, if Jesus said I could walk on water, I'm going to step out onto the water. But, but, but Peter could have been stopped. And I think probably the other 11 disciples were stopped because they went through all of the probabilities well, what are the probabilities? The text doesn't say any of this. You're adding to the scriptures, which is strictly forbidden. If we step out onto the water, probabilities we drowned, probabilities we sink, probabilities are endless. But dreamers, dreamers have guts. They're not afraid to take that first step. Because- yeah, see, Peter was a, a great example of the first dreamer. Again, no biblical text says this. Dreamers are more concerned with what's possible than with what's probable. Because here's the decision that Peter has to make. In my mind, I know all of the reasons why I'm going to sink right now. But also in my mind is this calling that says, but I could be the first dude in history to walk on water. Again, the text doesn't say that. The text does say that the reason he stepped out on the water because he didn't believe it was Jesus. So either I'm going to listen to all of the probabilities or I'm going to listen to God's possibilities. Either I'm going to listen to my fear or I'm going to listen to faith. Because fear tells me stay in the boat. Faith says you can walk on the water. Sounds impossible. So what's Peter do? Well, he steps out onto the water. Does he sink? Yes. But Jesus was right there to catch him. And to this day, he's still the... Yeah, Jesus said, why did you doubt you see yeah he's hijacked this story only man who ever walked out on the water but those 11 guys those 11 other guys never even walked on the water why 
Because they were more concerned with what's probable than what's possible. No text says that, including the Gospel of Matthew. And see, I believe that God wants to give you a conviction about what's possible for your future, even though it might seem audacious. Really, uh, based on what? Your mishandling of this text? I mean, seriously. You are going to have to give an account for all of these empty words, dude. But you've got to be willing to take that first step, even though it's risky. Even though it takes some guts. Even though it might shout your fears down, you've got to be willing to take the first step. Here's another way we could put that. Dreamers are more afraid of what might never be than of what could go wrong. We're all afraid of the things that could go wrong. But what if we were more afraid of the things that we missed out on because we didn't try? insane. He's not preaching God's law to convict people of actual sins and placarding Christ and him crucified for those sins. Man, wow, no repentance here. This is just nonsense. We are more afraid of the things that we could have done but didn't do than we are afraid of the things that could go wrong. I don't want to miss out on walking on water. Does that mean I might sink? Yeah. And Jesus will be there to catch me. Because how's the mountain fall into a plane? His grace. He's there for me. He's got me. And I'd rather take the first step and fail than never take the first step and miss out on what's possible. So, so God says to Zerubbabel, the mountain will become flat. It will be a plane. I'll give you my grace. And then remember how God says, I rejoice to see the work begin. And right before that, he says, but don't despise the small beginnings. It's a harsh word, isn't it? Don't despise the small beginnings. Why would he say that so harshly? Well, because I think that human nature, human nature looks at big things that we have in mind to do. And we say, that looks awesome. That looks great. I love the final outcome. But then God gives us small starting points. And small starting points rarely feel glamorous. Small starting points rarely feel exciting. Important words there were, I think, and that's his problem. This is a sermon that tells us a lot about what he thinks, not what Scripture says. Small starting points a lot of times seem very insignificant, but yet it is the insignificant starting point that contains the glorious finishing point. And and if we want to get to the glorious finishing point, it's going to be because... We didn't despise the small starting point. See, Lee and Linda, who are phenomenal leaders, had a vision in their minds 14 years ago that a church could reach people who were far from God. And there were hardly any people at this church at that time. And the vision was that we would have rooms filled and that people would hear about Jesus and all of that stuff. And that seemed so glorious. Like we would be successful if we did all of that. But guess what the small beginning was? A lot of really hard work that they had a lot of determination and they saw us through it. And that's why we're here today. See, if you're not willing to go through the small beginning, you'll never get to the glorious finish. So you'll know 14 years ago was when that seeker driven church got planted. And this is the fruit of the seeker driven movement, a complete wandering away from what God's word really says. He's not telling people what the word says or means. He's not confronting them with their sin placarding Christ and him crucified for their sins, and he's filling their heads with man-made doctrines and scratching itching ears 
telling them it's all about some big grand dream destiny that God's supposed to reveal, and he'll just be happy if you make a small beginning. This is a totally different message than Scripture, different gospel, different Jesus, and this is the fruit of the seeker-driven movement. But I, I heard Bishop T.D. Jake say this, and I, I'm just going to steal it from him because I think it's, it's brilliant. You wouldn't want to steal anything from him. He's a flat-out heretic. God never gave you a table, and God never gave you a chair. What he gave you was a tree. And he said to us, it's within your power to create the table and the chair out of the tree. But a lot of times we look at the trees that God has given us and we say, well, how's that ever going to turn into a table? And then we get frustrated and we throw our hands up and we say, well, I don't really have what I need and I don't really have what it takes to make my dream fulfilled. And and I'm frustrated because it seems like this road is too rough. And all the time God is saying, there's a tree right in front of you and it contains everything that you need. But you ignore the tree because it seems insignificant. But within the tree is everything that you need in order to fulfill everything that's in your heart. So, so dreamers, dreamers see what they do have when everybody else sees what they don't have. Because we could all make long lists of all of the things that we wish we had, but we don't have, right? But dreamers don't do that. Dreamers look at what we do have, what is in our hand today, and we say, I'm going to start where I am. I'm going to take that small step with the thing that God has put in my hand. And I believe that as I take that first small step, that that's going to put me on the path to seeing God's dream for my future realized. The small contains the large. The small contains the large. So what's the point? The point is you've got to have some guts because you've got to start where you are. You've got to start where you are. So it's time to stop wishing that your marriage gets better. And it's time to take a small step that's actually going to make your marriage better. It's time to stop wishing that your career would move forward. And it's time to take that first small step that would actually take your career forward. Well, it might be hard. It might not feel good. It might be challenging. Yes. And God's grace will be there with you the entire time. But are you going to miss out on walking on water because you thought it was too hard to step out of the boat? Because I don't want to miss out on anything that God has for me. Yeah, the whole point of the walking on water thing was not, do you want to miss out, but that Jesus is God. That's the whole point of that story. So God gives all of this encouragement to Zerubbabel about starting, starting small, starting with what's in his hand, moving forward. It says God's going to be thrilled if you just get out there and start measuring where the walls are going to go. Just start moving forward. But, but God's encouragement to, Zerub, to Zerubbabel wasn't just about starting. It was also about finishing, wasn't it? Go, go back in, in Zechariah in chapter 4 verse 9. It says the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation. And his hands will, all, his hands will also finish it. And then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. In other words, God's going to get the glory and the miracle is going to happen when you finish the project, when you bring it to completion. And, and see, God is saying, start where you are and then be faithful to the finish. Start where you are and then be faithful to the finish. Or we could say dreamers have got to have guts because they've got to step out of the boat and they've got to take that first small step. But dreamers also need some grit. Some grit that says, when times are tough, I'm not giving... That's not what Zechariah teaches at all. Anyways, when things are challenging, I'm going to buckle down and I'm going to move forward despite. 
But that doesn't go, that doesn't play into our selfish nature. Because we are programmed in our society to expect immediate results. Immediate results. And we judge everybody's success based on whether or not they get immediate results. But God doesn't work like that all the time. Now, God can show up and do a miracle in one second and do impossible things. I believe it. But a lot of times when God wants to do something in your life, it doesn't happen immediately. It happens over the process of time. And I think that we've maybe lost, we've lost a characteristic in our society today. A characteristic that causes us to give up on things too soon. A characteristic that because we don't have it, we miss out on the things that are possible for us. I think that a lot of times we've missed out on faithfulness, consistency, stick to itness. I'm going to see this thing through. To- Say the, says the guy who is totally unfaithful to Scripture and has not stuck to sound biblical exegesis. The irony is thick. And, see, dreamers are faithful even when they feel faithless. Because I'm sure that in one moment of time, you can get really pumped up and fired up about the great things that God has in front of you. But the problem is, is that your emotions wear off after time. And sometimes the hard work of actually seeing the dream through to completion, well, it doesn't feel as glamorous as it did when when you started. Maybe you're like, I've been in recovery for five years and I keep going back and forth in it. But God's saying to you, God's saying to you, just keep being consistent. Just keep being faithful and don't give up. Because if you bail, you're going to miss out on the end goal. But don't bail because it feels hard. So the end goal isn't salvation. The end goal is you know, metaphorically walking on water, you know, having some great dream destiny. This is nonsense. This guy is filling their heads with total rubbish. Don't bail because it feels tough. Have some grit and just keep taking those small steps. Keep taking those small steps. Keep making those risky decisions to believe God, even when it seems impossible to keep believing God. Paul put it like this in his letter to the Philippians. He said, I have not already obtained everything that I am believing for. Everything that God said is possible for my life, I don't have it yet. I have not already arrived at my goal. But what's he say? He says, but that is not what Philippians 3 is about. Good grief. This guy has no conscience, like none whatsoever. Philippians chapter 3 and the, which is one of the great texts about how we are saved by grace through faith. Let's take a look at it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So notice he's going right after those who believe that they are saved by their self-righteousness, by their law-keeping. Paul then says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them, all of his good works, I count them as rubbish, 
in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, so that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Mm -hmm. He's not talking about a dream destiny or being a dreamer or a world changer. He's talking about the terminus, the goal of our faith, salvation and perfection in Christ. I press on, but I press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In other words, everything that God said is possible for my life, I'm going to keep moving forward until I see it realized in my life. That's not what he's saying at all. You totally twisted this text. This man is a complete charlatan. Press on. And, and I think that maybe some of you here today, God needs to bless you with the spirit of stubbornness. <laughs> Not like ugly stubbornness, but the kind of stubbornness that says, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I trust God too much to give up. But that means that you're going to have to defy your emotions sometimes. Because your emotions are going to say, this is too tough, give up. But dreamers are more focused on their end game than their emotions. Dreamers are more focused on their end game than on their emotions. Because your emotions aren't always true. And your emotions sometimes try to convince you of things that are really bad for you. Your emotions are... Yeah, like your emotions teach you that that uh, Amplified Church is the church for you and that God's really active there. No, he's not. This is a dangerous place to be. And this is, these are doctrines of demons. Always the voice of God. But dreamers say, no matter how I feel, I'm not missing out on what God said is possible. Jesus, he is standing in the most difficult moment we could imagine. And he's been arrested. And he's standing before Pilate. And Pilate is about to decide whether or not to send Jesus to the cross. And Pilate asks Jesus a loaded question. Pilate says to Jesus, are you a king? Now that's a loaded question because if Jesus says, yes, I am a king, then guess what? He just committed treason against Caesar, which is actually punishable by death. And so Jesus has a decision because I'm sure that every single thing inside of Jesus in his humanity does not feel like answering that question. <clears throat> so notice he's adding to the text now, Jesus's feelings, which are not recorded for us. He responds, John 18, 37. Pilate said, are you a king? And Jesus says, yes. And then he says this powerful phrase. He says, for this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world. In other words, Jesus says, this is going to feel terrible for a few minutes, but you know what? I'm here for a greater purpose. And even if it feels bad for a little while, you got to understand Jesus is the one who led the ultimate purpose driven life and he fulfilled his purpose so that you can be saved. That's why we preach him and not ourselves, and we aren't told to seek after a divine purpose like Jesus is. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
That's a different thing than a purpose altogether. It's going to be worth it in the end. Because I've got a sense of cause on my life. I've got a sense of purpose on my life. I've got a sense of God can do the impossible, so I'm not giving up on my life. And so he says, I'm here for a cause. And ultimately, if you're going to see God do impossible things in your life, it's going to be because your dreams are attached to a cause that is worth living for and also a cause that is worth dying for. A cause that is worth facing. Says no text anywhere. Difficult emotions through for this cause. And at the end of the day, I don't want my life to have accomplished great things to make Jason Howard great. I want my life to have accomplished great things so that everyone can look and say, look at how awesome God is. Look at how great God's power is. Look at how great God's love is. I want my life to be about a cause. And so it's worth some sacrifice along the way. And it's worth shouting down my fears with some faith along the way. And it's worth some guts and it's worth some grit because I believe that there is a glory that's going to be told. This theology will totally wear everybody who tries to apply it out. Yeah, this is a formula for pure theological exhaustion. Heaven, where God gets all of the credit and I want my life to contribute to that glory. Band, you guys can come on up. Dreamers. That's right. Here comes the band in order to start the sappy music. Are more concerned with heaven's cause than their own cause. Dreamers are more concerned with God's cause than their own cause. See, dreamers have guts. Dreamers have grit. And dreamers live for a greater glory. Mm -hmm. And where did the apostles teach them about this, about being a dreamer? Nowhere. No biblical text teaches this at all. Jesus, um, Jesus is the perfect example of this, isn't he? It says in Hebrews 12, it says, so here's what you need to do. Start running. Start running the race that God has for you. Get out and make those first steps. Go out and have... Yeah, no, Hebrews 12 does not say that. Grit. And don't quit. It says no extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race that we're in. And then the author of Hebrews says, but look at what Jesus did. See, he never lost sight. So of Jesus is now held up as the ultimate example of a guy who fulfilled his purpose and see, he did it. You can do it too. You see, there you go. Go and, and be a dreamer. Like Jesus was a dreamer. Unbelievable. He was headed. It says that exhilarating finish. Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience as they get ready to make some kind of a decision. The decision that is before Amplify Church is to become an audacious dreamer, which no biblical text tells us to do at all. In and with God, he could put up with anything along the way. The cross, shame, Whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. So, when you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. The long litany of hostility that Jesus plowed through, and that will shoot adrenaline through your blood. In other words, he's saying, look at what Jesus did. I don't need adrenaline. I need to be forgiven of my sins. You. Look at how Jesus made his life count for the greatest cause. 
So you better make your life count. Get busy. Yeah, this is this guy's tying up a heavy burden and laying it on the shoulders of these people. Because Jesus was the ultimate dreamer. He was the ultimate example of guts and grit. He was the ultimate example of, I'm going to make some sacrifices for a greater cause and a greater purpose. And do you know what Jesus' dream was? Jesus' ultimate dream, in fact, God's ultimate dream, is that sinners like me and you, whose lives were dysfunctional. Uh, Dysfunctional. Dysfunctional lives. No, sinners sin. And sin, the wages of sin is death. So even in his attempt at preaching the gospel here, it's coming up short because he's not rightly teaching the law. The law helps us by showing our, us our sin and our need for a savior. So here he's taken sin and ratcheted it down to dysfunction. Yeah, we, we've got some dysfunction going on here. Good night. Who didn't really live up to all of the perfect standard that people like me and you could be forgiven. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Forgiven of dysfunction, apparently. So that we could become who we were always meant to be. See, his ultimate dream was that me and you could find our way back to our father. That we could know what love was. That we could be forgiven so that things could be at peace between us and God. That was his dream. Great. Now call them to repent of their sins. That's what the apostles did. Call them to repent of their wickedness, of their idolatries, of their murdering, of their adulteries, of their coveting, of their bearing false witness against their neighbor and of their stealing. Call them to repent and tell them that Christ has bled and died for all of those sins to reconcile hurting humanity and he was willing to go to the cross for it. Reconcile hurting humanity. Good night. He was willing to die for it. And today, what great glory that ordinary people like me and you get to know that in God's eyes, we stand forgiven, holy, his child, his son, his daughter. And you haven't called them to repent. Blessed with grace and power to do the impossible and to bring heaven to earth through our simple everyday lives. Keep your eyes on Jesus and you'll have the guts and the grit that you need. He is the pioneer of our faith. It says that Another translation of the same verse, it says that fix your eyes on Jesus. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy in front of him? How could he have gone to the cross with joy? How? Because he saw you. And he was willing to let the nails go through his wrists. And he was willing to let his back be torn apart. Why? Because in his eyes, you were worth it. And the joy of knowing that one day you could know him, it was worth the cross. What a great God. Let's all stand to our feet. Done. Wow, what a mess. Yeah, that was 
just abysmal from beginning to end. And that is the typical state of affairs now in seeker-driven evangelicalism. God's word is gone. No proclamation of God's law. Shaving off of all the hard edges regarding sin. No call to repent and be forgiven. Just don't worry. Everything's rosy dozy, and God wants you, just wants, he, here's the price he paid so that you can have a great dream destiny. It's all rubbish and balderdash and flim flam. It's nonsense. This is what it sounds like to scratch itching ears and to wander off into myths. Lord have mercy on him. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at Fire Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you and the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>